Hello and welcome to another Rahalastapa. This one comes from the Wolverhampton Literature Festival. Very exciting. I hope you'll enjoy it. I've grown up. It's a very grown-up show. Look, we're doing loads more Rahalastapas in 2019 uh, at the Leicester Square Theatre uh, on February the 18th. James Acaster and London Hughes. February the 25th, Joel Domit and Susie Ruffle. March the 4th, Les Dennis. Come on, and Matt Ford. March the 11th, Rosie Jones and Matt Lucas from off of Little Britain. Come on. March the 18th, Sindhu V and to be announced. Uh, March the 25th, no guests announced yet, but I'm heading for big things for all these TBAs, so it's worth booking ahead. And April the 1st, no such thing as a fish and Professor Alice Roberts. We're going to end classy. I can tell you that's going to be lots of facts. Also, I'm at Bath on February the 15th at the Comedia with uh, my guests Kerry Howard and to be announced. And I'm also coming to Brighton on the 3rd of April. Uh, there's two shows now, one at 6.30, one at 8.30. The 8.30 one is sold out. The 6.31 still has some tickets as I record this. As I am saying this, there is no guarantee there are still some now. Why not come and see us live? Go to richchain.com slash gigs and there might be even more announced by now. Let's sit back, relax and enjoy Richard Herring's Lester Per, as it will now be known. Goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bilston Town Hall. Please welcome a man who doesn't understand why he's in Bilston Town Hall. It's Richard Herring. Oh yeah, I used to be on the telly. What's happened? Hello. <laughs> Hello, Bilston. <laughs> Bilston? I've always dreamed of playing here. They say you play Bilston Town Hall twice in your career, but they're wrong. You only play it once. I'm never coming back. So, not even on the way down. I don't think there's... Anyway, welcome to Richard Herring's. Hold on, it's changed. Because we're somewhere else. I want to get it right. Richard Herring's... <laughs> I have to read this. It's pathetic. Uh, lovely, super, terrific podcast. Uh, though I was uh, hanging around at Bilston Craft Gallery uh, earlier today. It's the largest dedicated craft venue in the West Midlands. I don't know if you know that. I was with Liam from One Direction. He's hanging around. Uh, he's from Wolverhampton. Uh, he calls it Rahalastava. Uh, I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's yes, thank you. Yeah, that is... It's lovely to be here at the uh, Wolverhampton Literature Festival. Uh, <laughs> I always love coming to Wolverhampton. <laughs> and this is quite unusual. There's a full venue in Wolverhampton. I don't quite know what to do with myself. My dream is to play the Civic Hall, the big one. This, you know, this would be about an eighth of the big room in the, <laughs> if, it, if only it were open. Um, but um, uh, yeah, it's uh, Wolverhampton. I don't get a bad press, I have to say. Uh, is voted the fifth worst city on the planet. And that's at least on the planet. That's not all planets, that's just this planet. It's probably, if you include all the planets, it's probably not even in the top ten. So don't, don't worry about that. It was, that was in 2009, so things have changed. Last year, it was voted the second worst city in the United Kingdom. <laughs> not even the worst. That at least would be something. And uh, recently, the most miserable place in Britain. <laughs> uh, it's twinned with Subotica in Serbia, which is sub-erotica. Klagenfurt in Austria, 
Klagenfurt is actually Austrian for fanny fart. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> and Ulan, but this must be a joke, right? This is from Wikipedia. Ulan Batar in Mongolia uh, is also Mongolian for fanny fart. So that is that's something to watch out for. But it gets a bad press, Wolverhampton, but I like Wolverhampton and Bilston. I think it's all the same place. Uh, trying to work that out. Uh, Wolverhampton, don't knock, they can't knock you. You had the first automatic traffic lights in the United Kingdom. That is, that's it. But that's, you know, that's still something. The automatic ones. Uh, and it was recently voted the best, the third best city to raise your child in by moneysupermarket.com. <laughs> so it's not all bad news, is it? And um, it's, it's best to raise them in a hellhole. That is apparently the message of those different surveys. <laughs> then they at least appreciate leaving. As well, I think we might find out with our guest today. So, um, and the big news in the Express and Star... Uh, today, as we this is the first of February, uh, Jimmy Carr's dad in row with Dudley Council over roundabout advertising. That is, that's what that's what the people of Wolverhampton. Are. He's annoyed they're taking down his adverts. He wants to leave them up. Going well, isn't it for Wolverhampton? So that is <laughs> his his dad is is Jimmy Carr's dad. He might be called Jim Carr. No, he can't be. Can't be. It was something like that, John. He, he runs a business that puts the adverts on the roundabouts in Dudley. You must have seen them. They've been there for a while. They're a bit run down. The, the contract has expired. I'm, I mean, I'm surprised I have to tell you the story. He wants to leave them open, hoping he'll win the tender again. But the Dudley Council are saying that legally they have to come down, but also they've come down because they're looking a bit w- w- worn, you know. But Jimmy Carr's dad is saying you leave them up for free, but, you know, but no... That's what's happening here. <laughs> um, right, let's crack on. I think it's been, we've had some fun. Uh, uh, my guest tonight, we're well, just one guest tonight, as always, of course. Uh, he's probably best known for being the news bunny on live TV. That is what we've, that's what we've, hopefully he's come in the costume. I don't know whether he's dressed up. Will you please welcome Wolverhampton local boy, Satnam Sangera, ladies and gentlemen. Well, thank you very much. Sit down. Oh, pick up a mic. You've got to kind of hold it by your face. Do it yourself. I see you went for the cheap laughs about Wolverhampton. I, I'm not at all. I love Wolverhampton. Well, you didn't mention we have battered chips. I didn't mention that. No, you did promise me to bring, you promised you'd bring me some bad chips. I know, they don't, re- it's like oysters, you've got to eat them fresh from the sea. <laughs> I, I didn't, uh, I thought they'd go off. Yeah. But, you know, we batter the fish, and then we batter the chips. That's Tempura nice. chips. It sounds delightful. I'm on a diet at the moment, so I might, I, would have, I might have only been able to nibble if you had brought one. What do you remember about being the news bunny on live TV? Oh, God. You know, I wish uh, you could edit your Wikipedia entry. Yeah. Because... Um, is it not true? Well, I was a news bunny on live well, TV. And also so you I, just wish you could edit because it's embarrassing. Uh, yes, and also okay. I, I, I was a runner on topless darts. Yes, well, I was going to wonder whether you, it went... Yeah. The thing is, if, you, if you're growing up in Wolverhampton, you don't get many opportunities to work in the media, and live TV would basically have me. Yeah. So I went. And uh, the thing about topless darts was my job was to... Because the, the models weren't very good at darts... Uh, my job was to throw the dart into the dartboard. Oh, really? 
and in an act of fakery, they would pretend the model had, wow. had thrown it. Yeah. This is a massive exclusive straight away. <laughs> topless darts. They, well, they were just topless. That's just topless women. That's no good. I, I thought they were good at darts. I thought well, they were average at darts, to be honest. I'm sorry to uh, dispel that. Yeah. And being a news bunny was much more complicated than you think, because as you know, working in TV, yes. oh, well, you have for, to be... Uh, it's been a while. So, but yeah, it's been I a while. Can, I can think back. Sorry to raise that <laughs> painful right. memory. Um, you have to be politically neutral. So as the bunny, you, you were dressed up in a bunny suit and the news leader was reading out the headlines. So say, for example, you know, the a Labour government had just come into power. Yeah. If you were too enthusiastic, you could get in trouble with the regulators. <laughs> Generally, you could. You had to be politically... It was yeah. much more complicated and intelligent <laughs> uh, than you would suspect. Uh, I think my low point on live TV was they had this show on 11.30 called The Sex Show. Right. It was a classy channel, wasn't it? it very was classy. classy, yeah. <laughs> uh, where a couple, a married couple sometimes, would come on and talk about their sex lives. Okay, that's, that's better uh, than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and one day, uh, the producer came up to me and said, Satnam, uh, you know, the guy's dropped out. You know, would you... You know, he's got problems with erectile dysfunction. Yeah. Would you mind just pretending to be <laughs> that guy? Yeah. That's where I drew the line. Was it? Yeah. Because you're sexually aroused by talking about erectile dysfunction and that way you would just been like, that guy hasn't got, look at him. It's like a tent pole down there. I think I was on the first day of live TV, I believe. I'm, I might have confused this. It started off and it wasn't quite as tabloid as it became I think Is that yeah I think they had they had more money at the beginning yeah so I think on the first we didn't get paid we went me and Stu went on to publicise whatever tour we were doing at that time so it was mid 90s it must have been mid to late 90s was that right yeah. and uh, Richard E. Grant was on the future Oscar nominee wow yeah it was very exciting don't and remember anything else about it but I think Jerry Halliwell also started on live oh, TV she? it was like a really shit footlights <laughs> basically <laughs> but I went from there to the FT well, that's, what, that's quite what, a leap. Did what? they make you dress up as a bunny at the FT? <laughs> Just had to go, oh, the markets are down. <laughs> it's amazing that TV would have an ethnic person on in the 1990s and make them dress up in a fucking bunny outfit. That is, <laughs> we have got one, but we've hidden him away. <laughs> but oh, that's well, it's an interesting start to your career. So, the, uh, so you have been uh, a journalist, and then you... Uh, it, well, the book, The Boy with the Top Knot, is, is, is obviously what you're really best known for. And so that sort of tells the, the story of your progression from Wolverhampton. I mean, it's, so, it's, it's interesting to read about like a, someone who's grown up in such a different background. Uh, I still can't imagine having to live in Wolverhampton, though. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's, even with that, it's very well described. Look, I all right. I feel like we need to uh, address this Wolverhampton issue. Yeah. I've got a whole theory about why Wolverhampton always comes in in surveys. Mm. I think it's one of those places that people haven't actually visited. Combined, yes, I've not. I've visited it, <laughs> and it's a shithole. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Secondly, it's a kind of place people travel through on the train. Yeah. And it is admittedly a terrible view from the train. From the train. From the train. Or just driving through or no, no, no. walking, no, no, no. standing. I, can't, I generally can't believe you could say that. You've been to Doncaster, right? I tell, the, the problem really that I can't really mock you too much because my family come from Middlesbrough, which I don't think is a city. Otherwise, <laughs> it would be the worst city in the world, in the universe. So I can't really... We dreamt of moving to Wolverhampton. Exactly. 
Also, I think there's something intrinsically funny about the accent and also the word Wolverhampton. It just sounds funny. It's a, it it's a good way to end a gag, isn't it, Wolverhampton? It is. Well, it's weird because Hampton, most of the Hamptons are quite posh, aren't they? But then Wolverhampton. It's, not, not, it's, it's, the, least, it's the least posh Hampton there is. What I like about Wolverhampton is the people of Wolverhampton yeah. and the fact you can tell them to their face that they live in a shit hole and they laugh, <laughs> even though they're defending it. And the worst places you go to are the places where it's quite bad and you go, this is quite bad. And they go, no, it isn't, it's great. I know exactly the place you're thinking of because uh, I dated someone from this place. It's Newcastle, isn't it? Newcastle's nice now, though, man. It's, Newcastle's gone, it's gone way up. You meet all these people from Newcastle in London going, it's the best city on earth. <laughs> you're like, you're living in London. Yeah. Can't be that great. Go to Newcastle, there's some nice people there. I like Newcastle. I like most places. I'm trying to think what I don't like. Uh, <laughs> Birmingham's a bit of a shithole. <laughs> what you should say. Oh, hold on, I'm, I'm sorry, I've sold out in Birmingham. It's fine. <laughs> Try that again with West Bromwich. And, uh, <laughs> West Bromwich. Yeah. Uh, Solly Hull. No. Full of pricks on the arse where, <laughs> That's where Stuart Lee grew up. So, um, that's all I know about. Let's talk a little bit about... Um, I'm, I'm sort of interested in your... I'll, we'll go back to the book, but I'm interested in your pre-journalist jobs, which I'm always quite interested in with uh, my guests. You've worked... You've done... Well, you worked from a very young age. You were put to work in a... Is that right? You were in the sewing... For, you're making 50p a... I want to say a, a day. Was it 50p an hour? It's 50p an hour, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not many laughs in illegal child slave labour. No. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, I think the owner is dead now, which is a great thing. Okay. Uh, it's how I feel about that time. I mean... How old were you when you were working in the... In I was what? 10 years old. I was actually on 30p an hour, and I got my first wage packet, and I cried. And he, <laughs> ga he gave me a pay rise to 50p an hour, and then I did 90 hours a week. I mean, it, I can't quite believe it happened, you know? I th apparently, it still happens in places like West Bromwich. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it, was, it was insane. I can't believe it happened. Yeah. What were you, what were you sewing for? Well, that's the thing. I'm quite... A, I'm a specialist with women's blouses. Are you? Yeah. So, so did I you know to... the buttons on women's blouses are on the other side? Yes, I did know that. Did yeah. you know that? Yeah. Not Why is men that? Do I don't know. Because their brains are all wired up wrong in there. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. But, yeah, they but, couldn't do a normal man shirt up, could you? It's too confusing. <laughs> Put them on the other side to make it easy. It's what? The, the maid would do it. All right. It was worth heckling, and it was great to hear it three times. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's, I heard you the first time, I just thought, that is such a good heckle, I want him to say that indistinctly three times. If you don't understand the heck, you don't have to answer. That is the, that is the beauty of working in Wolverhampton <laughs> for me. So, um, <laughs> I love it here. I love you. I love you. You're great. You worked in, you did burgers? Anything good about Yeah, I got rejected burgers? from Penrode McDonald's. Right. And uh, ended up in Burger King. Okay. And anyone, anyone been served by, by, in Burger King? Anyone remember? It's closed. Oh. Well, it wasn't closed, closed when you worked there. It's closed. It closed 30 years ago. And this is a ghost. <laughs> Uh, all I remember from then is that there was a member of staff who liked, hated vegetarians so much, whenever someone ordered a bean burger, he'd put it down his trousers before 
cooking it. Which, which you're definitely which, going to have to delete that. Which side? <laughs> <laughs> can't afford the legal fees. Which side of his trousers did it well, go through down? the pants? Okay, but which side was it? The the ex the <laughs> the poo exit or that? I was trying to think of a polite way. Was it the bottom or the? Penis? Let's say it's left for left wingers, okay. vegetarians or something. It could go. Know. It could go down his bum or down, uh, on his cock. <laughs> That's a very different. You know that might if it's been on his genital. I don't know why I'm riffing on this because he's already said we're cutting it. Um, <laughs> we might get away with it. You never know. Um, and uh, yes, I, well, and then you went you went to Cambridge, which must you must probably be the first person from Wolverhampton to, <laughs> to to go that far just geographically, let alone to the university. And. Um, I'll stop when you stop laughing. Uh, <laughs> start throwing things. Look, we have, we have a Starbucks. Yeah. And a sushi restaurant. No. Yeah, in Wolverhampton. Wolver- I was reading in the Dudley um, Express, and the, it's the Express and Star, that in Dudley, uh, the, a Chinese restaurant's been closed down because of rat dropping. So you're not... <laughs> your newspaper is not backing up your culinary delights. That's what I'm saying. No, and actually something... Tell, I grew up in an area called Park Village, and... Right. Uh, I was thinking, you know, maybe it's not so bad anymore. And it came in the it was it became international news when a kebab shop was found to have housed a dead body for two days as they served kebabs. Right. On the little spinny thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it be, that's something odd about that. It's <laughs> delicious. It's weirdly tasty. And it became uh, the most read item on BBC News for like several right. months. Because of that, I think. I think people thought, oh, that, that's what they're serving in kebab shops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd give it a go. If it was there already. If they were already dead and it was already... Not, if, I wouldn't murder someone to do it, but if they were already... If they died of natural causes and it was their final it's like wish. one of your questions. A bean burger that's gone through someone's pants. <laughs> yeah. Or I a need kebab. to know which side. And if it's the, don't keep referring back to it if you want it to be cut out. Uh, so that's... <laughs> it's staying in now. Definitely staying in. So, um... <laughs> you went to Cambridge and I was listening to another podcast you were on and you were discussing that you um, you, you didn't have many friends at, at Cambridge well basically three of us became friends yeah. three men and then we became very exclusive yes. and we didn't allow any other friends in the group and we also didn't allow each other to have girlfriends right <laughs> yeah so it was like a, a homosexually erotic menage a three without any sex that's nice yeah. Never any sex. Well, the people were... John Oliver was one of the people. John was. He, had, he had more sex than us. Did he? Yeah. Uh, and there's Lachan Gowdy, who's now a TV presenter. Okay. And there's a guy called Joel. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, basically, it was quite a strange place to go to after Wolverhampton, you know? Yes. People spoke English. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the weirdest thing is that people... I was poor and I pretended to be rich. Because that's what you do. If you're an immigrant family, you don't want to go on about how little money you have. You want to pretend you drive a Mercedes. Um, whereas there were lots of rich people there pretending to be poor. Yeah. Did you have that experience at Oxford? Yeah, well, I, would, I think I'm, I'm, I'm... The interesting about this book is it resonates with me a lot, even though our, you know, our lives are quite different in a lot of ways. But similarly, I came from, you know, a middle-class family, but, a lo- you know, a family of teachers, and not many people went to... My, my parents the first people in... in our families have gone to university and then me and my brother went to Oxford and it was, you know, that was quite a big deal. But it was, I was so in awe of everyone and so thinking, oh my God, I've, you know, they're going to find me out. And it is full of, as you, as you were saying in the interview, it's full of very posh people who all seem to know each other 
because they do know each other because they all went to the same school. Whereas yeah. I was, they, know, went, my, they went on skiing trips together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it, you were. I was very intimidated by it, and yeah, lots of people. Weirdly, I was at, I was at a college which had a lot more comprehensive kids in the college at St Cats, but they almost were as bad because they were they had a chip on their shoulder the other way. So they were kind of they were stuck together and didn't want to go and explore the university. So I had a quite horrible time being bullied in two directions until I discovered comedy, which sounds like a similar... And then you get bullied by your audience. Yeah, well, <laughs> you felt like, you know, it was, I found the people, I found my people in the university after about a term or two, you know. And, uh, but it, I was at university at the same time as Boris Johnson and Michael Gove. I've had so many opportunities <laughs> to kill Michael Gove in my life. <laughs> Like we, we literally did, I've mentioned this before, but we literally did comedy in the Oxford Union Jazz Cellar, which was underground, basically beneath the, the massive auditorium in which they all did their debates. And it was like the cellars at the House of Commons. <laughs> so we could, the, Armando Iannucci and Al Murray and Stuart Lee, we could have all decided to become assassins. And if we'd known the future, yeah. we could have been the new Guy Fawkes. You could have been buying... <laughs> Well, I have a much more mundane dilemma in relation to Michael Gove. Uh, I worked with him. He worked as a colleague of mine in the Times. And he's actually quite a nice guy. No, he isn't. Uh, but his politics are insane. Yes. And the other year, he sent me a, a, a Facebook friend request. <laughs> and uh, I just haven't been able to accept it. I just thought, <laughs> can you accept it? I mean, it just, I'd be laughed out of Wolverhampton. Although <laughs> <laughs> Wolverhampton is very Brexity. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, well, I, I assume so, you know. Very Brexity. And uh, I came back uh, the day after Brexit and was visiting my mom and one of my Indian relatives came over and said, oh, this Brexit thing, isn't it great? Because now all the Muslims will fuck off. And I was like, I don't think you've thought this through <laughs> entirely. Well, that, you know, everyone voted for a different reason. Nobody's going to get what they wanted. It's kind of fair. <laughs> it's... I'm sort of thinking, I'm, I'm now very much hard Brexit, my plan, hard Brexit, no deal, we leave, we have no medicine, no food, <laughs> then the EU just have to send us food and medicine for humanitarian relief for free. <laughs> we spend the rest of the money on the NHS, that's, 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 that's my solution. I think that's actually Jacob Rees-Mogg's plan. <laughs> it might be. I don't think anyone's got any plan. This... This is going out, we're recording this in the beginning of February, it's gonna go out in mid-February, so I'm sure by the time this goes out, everyone at home will know exactly what's happening with Brexit. It will all have been sorted. They couldn't leave it that late, right? To still not know what they were doing. Do you think, I mean, do you think your fans are, your fans are obviously Romani. Uh, but do they, you think these guys are Romani or Brexit? I think these are the, this is the people who voted Remain in Wolverhampton <laughs> in this room. <laughs> And they're, they're I'm asked. really curious. You'll ask them. Yeah, we can ask them. Who voted to remain in the... Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, not everyone, there's some guys here. Yeah, these guys, they're still... They're not only still, there's clasp in there. You think you're right? Stoke. Are you from Stoke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens, wouldn't it? I, I sort of think everyone should get... I, now we have to tattoo Brexit or Remain on our heads. Wow. And it doesn't have to be what you voted, uh, but it has to be what you're, which side you're going now. 
I think if we did that, I think this might be an answer genuinely if we had to just decide now, um, remain, remain or leave, you have to register as that, whichever it is. If more people register remain, we don't go, right? But if, if, we, if we leave uh, and it turns out to be a disaster, everyone with leave, who's registered as leave, uh, doesn't get any food or medicine. <laughs> and everyone who voted remain does. If it goes the other way, all the people who voted leave get food and medicine first. They ex load yeah. extra. It's a good idea. And, don't, and, the, and, and then we'll work it out who was right, which is basically just what it's about, isn't it? Yeah. That's why I'm quite, I quite want to just go hard Brexit just because otherwise yeah. I think people are going, oh, no, but we didn't do it properly. <laughs> we didn't, it wasn't what I said. I thought the Muslims were going home. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I think we've got to, do, I've got to go full in. I'm fully I committed. I think you need to be more specific because people, food is too an abstract concept. If you, have to talk, if you talk about KFC and Nando's yeah. and tell people they can't have KFC, that's when it becomes real. <laughs> and, yeah. So you Magnums, you might not be able to have Magnums. That's going to upset some of, the, some of this audience. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, no, it's a disaster. Terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible disaster. <laughs> what was, was John Oliver funny at university when you knew him at university? Well, we used to, we had a running joke uh, between us that Joel, who was uh, not a comedian, was funnier than John. This hilarious joke we had. He, he was quite, John was annoyingly funny, and his friend Richard R.U.R.D. Yeah, he's um, quite good. He's quite it was good. Quite, you were with quite a good little crew of... I think it was quite a feckin' time for comedy, because often those, especially at those universities, around that time I was a bit earlier than you, but um, there were lots of periods of time where there wasn't any good comedians coming out of Oxford. No, and Dave Mitchell was there too, yeah. and I, I wasn't part of any of it, really. No. I was, uh, you know, studying Shelley and uh, doing really Asian geeky things, like investing my student loan in, into shares, into rail track shares. <laughs> And doubling the money and then gloating about it. <laughs> you know, I wish I'd been more creative. That sounds pretty good, having money. <laughs> I, I, the first term I was at university, we got, like, I, we got some kind of grant back then, but I think it was um, from my parents, because they weren't, that, they weren't wealthy, but you had to be poor to get the grant. Um, and, uh, but because I, did, I cooked my own food, I'd, a year, I'd had a year off, as it was called then, and I'd learnt to cook, so I cooked my own food, and I wasn't drinking because I had exams at the end of the first term, and I was sure I was going to get kicked out. And I had about 300 quid left at the end of the first term. It was amazing. Everyone else was, had spent their whole year's budget, <laughs> and I had money left. It was great being on my own, <laughs> eating, <laughs> eating beans and, not, and drinking lemonade. <laughs> Happy days. It was great. I had a terrible time. I hated, you know, I mean, I just sort of, apart from the... It was a very weird, and because I, I didn't, you weird. worked hard and you got like an incredible degree, and I didn't work hard, and I'd always got done well at exams, and I, I was thinking about this the other day, I was so depressed in the last term when I realised I had, was not going to be able to pass my exams, and uh, you know, it was, I, was, I still dream about it. Do you ever? Do you have yeah, I have A-level stress dreams, but yeah, it's a weird place, Oxbridge, because mainly... The thing that makes it great is the thing that makes it terrible. Because you get there and it's like, we've been here 2,000 years or 1,000 years, and therefore you don't matter. And you don't matter. I, I go to Cambridge now and I feel exactly how I did at 19. You're a speck. You're going to be replaced, aren't you? Yeah. And I think I would have been happier somewhere where I didn't feel like that. True, but I mean, I think it's interesting because there's a snobbery backwards at, at, at Oxbridge. And you say go to Oxbridge and people make an assumption about you, which just happens 
a lot on the comments of my YouTube videos because people say I bring it up all the time and I fucking don't ever mention it ever. <laughs> never even meant, I've never even talked about it. Um, but, you know, this, I think you've, you've talked about this, about how to get more ethnic and working class people into Oxbridge, but that's, that's what it should be, isn't it? It should be the, the, the problem with it is it's not the cleverest people are getting in, it's the people who are paying the most money for education. But... It's still about 50-50, isn't it, in public schools versus... Yeah, but only 7% of people went to public school. Yeah, I know. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I do also feel like if you were paying to have your child educated and then you didn't get into good university, you'd go, hey, why did I pay all that money out? Yeah. So you can understand why, you know, it's like going, hey, I, I've spent loads of money. <laughs> and also there's an argument, I understand the argument that, say, if, you know, you've worked very hard, you have children, you know, your children, you want the best for your kids, don't you? Nah, I don't want to send them to public school, though. <laughs> no no offence. Nothing to be ordinary. But, you know, we move... It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a... It's a but it's, how do you think... You, do you think they should be trying to get more working-class people, more people from Wolverhampton going to Cambridge? Absolutely, so, yeah. That's, I, how, I, they do, how, do they, how do they do it? How do they make that happen? And you just don't have these weird rules that they have. And yeah, this weird application process, the interview, which just seems to be entirely aimed at getting people who are like yourself into the university. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, I, when you get your free degree, another ridiculous thing you have, Oxbridge, after three, degree, after three years, you get a free MA. Yeah. How do, how does, how do we let that happen? But we, I went back with John, and we drove up, and we were saying, look, maybe we were chippy during our three years. Maybe all our colleagues at college weren't wankers. Why don't we not talk to each other all day and talk to the other, other students who were there. And we, we, we spent a day talking to the other people and we, we caught up the next day and independently we were like, they were utter wankers. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just get bad years. And I think we had a very uptight, uh, geeky uh, kind of yeah. know, bunch of kids. Well, you know, clever people are annoying, aren't they? And rich people are annoying. So it's going to be the worst... <laughs> to get them all together in one place. I mean, you just sort of, by the end, I realised how, you know, that's the problem, is you feel, they're so confident. I mean, I know you went to grammar school and you get, but that sort of public school thing is, people are taught to just be confident and that's 90% of getting anywhere, isn't it? Yeah, totally, yeah. And that's why we've been led, by lions led by donkeys into a terrible disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Who've managed to convince... What I love about the... Bre not to go on about Brexit too much. But what I love about it is the way that they've managed to... The people believe that the elite are the people opposing <laughs> Brexit. Yeah. And, and Jacob Rees-Mogg, Boris Johnson, <laughs> Nigel Farage, that these people are not the elite, apparently. It's, it's incredible. Double thinking. Well done to them. They deserve everything <laughs> they've got. I hope the, the guillotine will come back. <laughs> Post the revolution that will definitely happen. Um, after this, anyway, uh, let's talk about you. I'm not. Uh, well, look, uh, let's. We'll, we'll move on to your journalist career. You've done. Uh, you did lots of celebrity interviews. So I want to get some tips on you oh, God, on how yeah. to interview the many, many incredible celebrities. I think I'm a, I was a really crap celebrity interviewer. Uh, I think it was Marty Amos who said the problem with doing celebrity interviews is that, as a journalist, on some level, you want them to have a nervous breakdown and fall apart because that's a good copy, but also because they're a celebrity. You want, to be, you want them to be your friend. So there's a twin thing going on there. Yeah. And uh, the way I solved that problem in my 20s is by just being rude to absolutely everyone. I couldn't imagine that. <laughs> I couldn't imagine that working. I was so rude. Yeah. 
And so rude, actually, that I got into my 30s and I apologised to, right. to three people who I thought I'd been unreasonable to. Well, I, you know, because I think, like, I've been, interview, I've been interviewed as, and I've now interviewed people, so I kind of get that. I get, I get why people are, have been rude, but I also sort of think, you know, it's not probably the way to get what you want out of people, really. Because if, if you've got people on the defensive, even if, you know, I was, you'd be interviewed by people from the paper, you know, especially the tabloids, but even the papers, the, you know, you'd sort of be aware that looking, they're going to try and find some little thing and take a quote out and they're going to use the worst possible photo of you. And they always did. Yeah. And so that means every time you went back to do the next interview, you go, well, I don't trust, you know. And so you're, the person's immediately clamming up. Whereas if you're just quite nice and like the person you're interviewing, yeah. you, but you interviewed some amazing people. Uh, you interviewed Bernard Matthews, the turkey guy. <laughs> Remember him? That was a great interview. It was got, a good interview. You know, I've been reading your interviews. They're on your website. I can, I can read them. <laughs> Not only just because he never gave interviews for obvious reasons, given he was murdering billions of turkeys. Yeah. I've got to be careful legally here. He's dead, though. You can't libel the dead, can well, you? Well, he did murder. I mean, I don't know if you call it murder. <laughs> I don't know if it's technically murder. Well, I was so going to say something about the state of the factories, but yeah. I mean, he, he also looked like a turkey. <laughs> you know, you, he generally, and he also yeah. he, had, he had turkey portraits. Up. <laughs> do you think... It's not like quite a weird thing. Do you to think spend he your... was a turkey who'd crossed the lines? <laughs> I think but I... the only way I can save myself is to kill all the others. That's quite a weird thing, to enter your turkeys in for prizes, yeah. have them painted, and yeah. then to murder billions. <laughs> it's quite a weird psychology going on there. Yeah. And then to look like a turkey on top yeah. of it. But um, yeah, interviews are such strange things. Nowadays, I do fewer of them. But um, it's, sometimes it's the combination of interviews. I interviewed Shajid Javid the other day. Oh, yes. That was such a strange experience because, you know, he's brown, and he, I, hear, I arrived, and he, he began talking to me in Punjabi. Okay. I was like, oh my God, you're like me. You're an, obviously an alien. You're a Tory <laughs> minister, but you're, you're, you're a bit like me. And I just found that so destabilizing. Um, and then the next day I was interviewing Bross. <laughs> <laughs> so in my head, I was writing all this stuff about Asian sex gangs, because we had a long conversation about the most difficult subject in British politics, which is Asian sex gangs. I thought it was with Bross. I thought that was. <laughs> <laughs> and the next minute, you know, Matt and Luke. Yeah. What the fuck's going on there? I had no idea what's going on there. And then that, that whole thing went viral, you know, yeah. the Bross documentary. You've seen it? I have. It's incredible. And I, I've lost any sense, because they're now proud of it. They're proud of that documentary. And yeah. yet, it seems to me the documentary's taking the piss. Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, I can, I think the only way that they're... That it's fascinating that there's so... It's so, such a brilliant documentary, and it's a fascinating portrait of being brothers and being, you know, I've been in double acts, I understand the sort of petty arguments and thank God, you know, my life wasn't that? filmed. Yeah, yeah, of course you have those strots, but they're brothers as well. Uh, I think that out of the end of it, I think it's quite inspiring. They sort of come together, sort of. Mm. Don't you think the really interesting thing about it is one of them's had lots of work done and one of them hasn't. <laughs> and so the one who's had lots of work done is looking at the other one going, why are you giving the game away? And the one who's... <laughs> No, the I one who's not is going, oh, fuck, you know, I could look like that if I'd had the work done. <laughs> no, I asked them about this. And yeah. so, obviously, one's got hair, one hasn't. So you're like, hair transplant. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, his brother said, I had stress-induced alopecia. So either his brother's being very kind. He's joining in with it. Too. He's, yeah, with the life. But it's also this, you know, one of them's got like a skeleton face. <laughs> and one of them's got a lovely, like, smooth alabaster 
the skin yeah. taken <laughs> off a child's bottom and stitched to his face. I love. They went. I went to school with Ross. Seriously? For one year, <laughs> they moved to Cheddar in Somerset, <laughs> where I grew up, and they were at Fairlands Middle School. And I think in the opening titles, you see them wearing the Fairlands. It just flashes by so quick, I can't be sure. But I think they were wearing the Fairlands Middle School uh, uniform. Uh, they um, they both beat up my friend Chris Scard. I don't and, think my uh, Sajid Javid Bross experience could get any weirder. In, in, uh, in our so, house. You know, I, I kind of was thinking, I'll, they won't come on my show, but I'd kind of, I wonder whether the Cheddar connection might be enough to get them on. I th- but I, but I, think, <laughs> I think it's, fa- you know, it's fascinating that thing. The, they, they, they were treated so badly, I think, even though they probably made the most of the, the fun they were having as kids. Um, and they were completely chewed up and spat out. And... There's something. It's just, just something in the drama of them coming back together. The gut. The um, Luke is the drummer, isn't it? Uh, he's not drummed for 25 years, and so then he's got this weird thing where he has to pretend to be this incredible musician with all the other. He's a prick to all the musicians. Yeah, because obviously his drumming was great in <laughs> Yeah. That's but, so, but then, so he's up that, you know, he's up that going, oh, can we do it like, you know, can we, oh, we've got to, you've got to have truth and integrity. And he's, he's upping it. And the guy who's performing at Las Vegas every night is trying to kind of come down to meet him. And I've watched it twice and I, oh, really? I I'm identified with the different one each time. <laughs> I did. I thought, oh, no, he's such, Matt's such a prick. And then I watched the second time, oh, no, Luke's the prick. It's Luke. And then, yeah. They're a fascinating study in how celebrity totally fucks you up. Yeah. And, I always think of this bit in Robbie Williams' biography. I don't know. It's a really great book written by Chris Heath. He's a really good writer. Okay. I don't know if I've slightly exaggerated this bit of the book, but I think there's a bit where Robbie's dad says that he's sometimes starstruck by Robbie Williams. Oh, and I always think of that. I just think that's what celebrity does. It's like in Lord of the Rings. Do you know the ring? It makes yeah. everyone go... You think you'd be okay with the ring, but the moment you get near it, you go mad. Yeah. And it's the same with celebrity. You think you'll be fine with meeting Richard Herring. Yes. But then you meet him and you lose your mind. <laughs> you know, and I've seen it happen a lot. And actually, yeah. I've seen celebrities. You see celebrities going crazy over other celebrities. Yeah. And it's never anything I ever want in my life. So we can't be friends, Richard. Okay, that's fine. I don't, I don't, I'm not. I'm not. There are people you see and they're only friends with celebrities. And sometimes it's quite, we had, um, uh, I'm trying to think who it was. Uh, Stuart oh, Lee? No, Sanjeev Basker was Sanjeev Basker, and he had these brilliant stories about being friends with Roger Moore and, and Eric Idle, and you know he's kind of friends with loads of celebrities. Yeah, he's really but affable, in, but in a really affable, nice way. And then there are other people who are, their only friends are celebrities, and they don't yeah. know. And it's sort of you go, God, well, that's that's sort of weird. Why aren't you friends with people you were at school with? Why are you why are you friends with Elton John? That's weird. He's fifty years older than you. What's going on? I also understand why they are because it's it's it gets too crazy. It takes so much... When you're friends with civilians, if you're yeah. a celebrity, you know, as I call them, you know, <laughs> it must be weird for them, you know, because they want a bit, you know, of something. It's yeah. like having a lot of money. It makes everyone go mad. Yeah, it does. It's interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting. And then it's interesting that that do- documentary is going to make Bross have the resurgence that they failed to have. Actually, and that shows you how they've gone mad in that they've seen people like you have watched it twice. Yeah. And they've interpreted that as a fact, as a reflection of their great music. And it's not why you're watching it twice. Yeah, well, Bross never, the music was never it, but then the image was always it. I, do, I sort of, I don't know, I think there's, there's a kind of real, we won't just talk about Bross all night, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> might talk about <laughs> the boy with the top knot at some point. Uh, but, 
you know, I just think there's there's such drama in the fact they're family. I mean, this is is touching on what you've you've written about. It's you know, it's that bond between family and the and the breaks between family, um, and there's you know they, they want to they want to come back. There's something kind of I think they come out of it all right in the end, and because they are a bit stupid, <laughs> and I think they've been set up a little bit to be you know they've they've taken out the bits where they're being pretentious. Yeah. They want to be, you know, he, he, Matt wants to be an, an intellectual and he's... It happened, to, they became famous at a very, very young age. Yeah. That must be... Uh, who, who is it who said, basically, once you become famous, you stop developing as a human being? Because you don't need to ever think about how you behave. You can get away with anything. Mm -hmm. And it explains why people become famous as, ch as children are yeah, the I most fucked up. I think it's very, very hard when, when you see child actors and, you know, that it's difficult. You're given everything, everyone's bang down to you. And it's, it is... You have to have some failure to understand. I think I've had enough now, though. It'd be nice to go back. It'd be nice to go back to being successful. Not ever have to play Bilston Town Hall ever. Imagine that. Never you're, come. you're very famous. I remember. I'm, we've actually met before. We've met before. Yeah, yeah. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> it was about 15 years ago, and you were at a friend's wedding. Oh yes. And that's unusual for a start. So I don't know how to talk about this, but. Basically, you were dating someone. Yes. And you were obviously visibly having lots of sex. <laughs> you know when you start a relationship? Yes. You're just so into each other? Yes. And you were in the sex cave. Yeah, we were. And I, know, I think I know who it is now. <laughs> and so we were like, we're just going to leave those guys alone. We couldn't even communicate with you guys. So, right. Yeah. Anyway, that's my memory Thank of you. Thank you. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> Those good memories. From, I think we had sex at the wedding in the garden. <laughs> Yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was being polite. I wasn't going to mention that, but yeah, everyone knew. Yeah, good. We didn't care. So, um... <laughs> I'm glad I got off my, off my chest. <laughs> Damn. Damn, he had... He, he throwed me. He throwed me. Um, let's talk about you. Let's talk about you failing to have sex. For many years, I don't. I, I think what's interesting about this book, and which is of the boy with the top knot, which will be for sale in the lobby after the show. I don't care if people don't buy it because I got my advance. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that's that, that's very much how I feel about emergency questions, which is never going to sell enough. But again, you can buy this in the lobby after the show. Well, I'm back there. In fact, I am. I think we they split us up, so it won't be embarrassing for whichever sells less books. That will be me. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, it is what I said. I think it's that it's. You're covering a lot of serious subjects in this book. It's about you discovering at a sort of embarrassingly late age that members of your family had schizophrenia and you hadn't realised until you were sort of 25 and you had to find a note in a, in a suitcase to confirm your dad had schizophrenia. So there's a lot of um, serious subject matter in there. But what I, it, it's just that... I think, you know, a lot of it resonates, I think, for someone, anyone growing up in the 70s and 80s but also, I think like the, the, even for like a, I grew up in a quite Christian family. That strictness, which is not the same as the uh, as as what you're getting from your parents, but a lot of it resonates. And that, the, the, what weirdly, the thing that probably no one has ever picked up in an interview. If you, I'll talk about this first. The thing that kind of was the most evocative bit for me was where you talked about a going into a sweet shop and working out what you're going to buy. You couldn't just have sweets all the time. But you talk about getting a bounty with your dad and keeping the little bread, 
black bit of cardboard underneath the bounty so that you could sniff it later on and relive the pleasure of having it. I mean, it's like, it's like something out of, literally out of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> but it was so... I didn't like Bounty, but... That... Why did you say that? Because Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was my favourite book. Was it? Yeah. And you know, I, I just found out recently that Roald Dahl wanted a brown kid to play Charlie. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, and I really identified that with that whole thing because, you know, a whole family living in a bed. It wasn't, yes. it wasn't that dissimilar to what actually my childhood was like. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, yeah. Anyway, there's not many laughs in schizophrenia. No. Um. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's. It, but what you've done is created this. You know, it's a it's a it's a lovely insight into something that's a that's very different to my upbringing, but also the 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 things that are similar are are really interesting. And you know, I think that idea of, um, you know, I was very worried about transgressing religion and that sort of thing as a as a kid. And but all families are the same. Yeah. I should write a Russian novel beginning. <laughs> with that line <laughs> um, yeah they're all the same I mean basically because I'm Sikh um, we're a tiny community there's about 300,000 of us the same size as the Jewish community in Britain right. so I wouldn't ever expect anyone to be particularly interested in my background I wouldn't expect anyone to be particularly interested in Wolverhampton you know <laughs> but I do think all families are you know are fundamentally the same and the, fun the thing that unites us all is that it's very hard to talk to your family yeah. Oddly, they're the people you know best, but it's impossible to talk to them. Well, that's, you know, that's how you could... It's interesting how you could live your whole childhood and not have worked any of this stuff. I mean, you know, sleep in the same room as your parents until you're 10 and not work out the, what was going on. You know, not even... It seemed to be like a bolt from the blue from the... the... Yeah, well, you kind of... I just wanted to get out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, if your mission in life is to get out, you don't want to dwell on the past, and then but problem is eventually you run, you keep running, and then you hit a crisis, and you have to look back. Yeah. I think you also it's very, get it's very like what happened to Bross. <laughs> that's what, what happened to you. Actually, now you say that it is. Yeah. That's, what, that's what's beautiful about it. So you know, it is this this journey of you as a as a childish man. Like I, I you know, I, I guess I again we had a sort of similar twenties, I suppose, um, and. You know, you're going off. You, I was leaving Somerset behind, and you're leaving Wolverhampton behind, and uh, and going to London and and having this supposedly glamorous lifestyle, which is a bit empty and weird. Yeah. Uh, and then you realizing that you you've got to go back home. Well, the, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's sort of interesting because there's you're still the journalist is still there. I think, and the writer's still there. You're going back partly to be with your family and help your family, and partly because you realize that story's more interesting than. Yeah. talking to Samuel L. Jackson or whoever you were talking to at the time. No, exactly. And actually, it happens all the time. I mean, Catelyn Moran is from down the road. She's yeah. one of my colleagues, and um, she's been on your show. And um, she's done the same thing. She writes a lot about Wolverhampton. And yeah. it's a universal thing. That you eventually get to an age where you become interested in where you're from, and you realise it's you. It's part of you, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, lots of people who left Wolverhampton tend to talk about it. Lenny Henry, Mira Sayal's written a book about... Yeah. Sanjeev Baskar's wife. Um, uh, and yeah. his grandma. And his grandma, weirdly. Yeah. That's pretty fucked up, isn't it? <laughs> didn't, I didn't really talk to him about it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite weird to me that I've written two books about Wolverhampton, given I wanted to get the hell out. Yeah. But you come back, you know, you want to come back. And it's, on your website, there's a, there's a film of you visiting your 
childhood home, which is kind of a... You know, I did that. I, I went yeah. back and looked at my grandparents' houses in Middlesbrough. They live, other people live there now. And I didn't feel comfortable knocking on the door and saying, can I come and look at my old house? But it's, it's so... That's such a weird thing, isn't it? When the time has passed. I don't know how long it had been since you'd about lived in that house. Quite 20 a while. years, yeah. yeah. So it's a similar thing. My grandparents have been dead about 20 years. You go back and look at those houses and you go, God, this street isn't is much smaller than I remembered and these houses are tiny and to see you kind of walking in and remembering yeah and it was much rougher than I thought yeah and uh, I thought the other day I thought maybe I should look up whether it is actually rough because Lewis Hamilton the F1 driver was in trouble for describing Stevenage as a slum and they actually worked out his old house was worth a million pounds right so I was like oh I go around talking about how Park Village is a shithole and actually maybe it's posh so I googled the, the house, right move, uh, and we sold our house in 1988 for £27,000. That house is now worth £28,000. <laughs> you got a good deal, man, Twenty-seven. That must be the worst appreciation of property. And also, there's a crack den opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, but you go in the garden and... The, you, and the, it's on well, the, fire. The garden was on fire. Yeah. But you're it's saying, good. yeah, everyone, because all the community was Sikh and they'd all grown crops and yeah. stuff there, and now it's all just weeds growing up. Yeah. So there was obviously that community. Has the whole community moved on and it's just been taken Yeah, on? I mean, all the, the Indians have, uh, you know, socially mobile. They've all bought their Mercedes and yeah. they've got driveways in Wolverhampton. I mean, I walk around Wolverhampton occasionally for elections and stuff, and I can always tell which houses are Indian and which ones aren't. I mean, the Indians always pave over their driveways. There's always shoes outside in the patio, and uh, there's always a Mercedes or a BMW <laughs> on, the, on the driveway. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they're a very social, socially mobile community. Yeah, and sell, sell high and... Get out before it goes depreciates. Good, good work. <laughs> and so that 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 part of moving away. I mean, there's that. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to give away too much stuff in the book because it's because um, you haven't finished it yet. I haven't finished it, <laughs> but I've I've taken a journey through. <laughs> Skip some of it. Should I just watch the TV thing? Uh, well, like, you know, it's easier, isn't it? Yeah. When you've got two fucking little kids, it's not easier to watch telly uh, than to read. But there's obviously, the, you know, your, your, your siblings weren't brought up that religiously and you, as the younger one, were brought yeah, up. Yeah, I was like a religious more... experiment. So yeah. as a Sikh, uh, the strict Sikhs don't cut their hair, so I had hair down to my knees, basically, which was weird because no one else in my family did. And so that felt odd. Yeah, so and, that is quite odd to yeah. bring that in later, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and so I then had my hair cut, which was quite which a dramatic a thing deal, to do. Though, yeah. 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 yeah, it was. And it changed my life instantly. I mean, the kids at school didn't recognise me. It was that dramatic. Yeah. And I went from someone who was ignored by girls to someone where occasionally girls would look in my direction. <laughs> and it was transformative. But I think to become, be a bit psychoanalytical about it all, if you've ever been bullied in your life or if you've ever felt self-conscious, you never get rid of that. You know, especially yeah. if you grow up like that at the formative years of your life. On some level, I'm still that kid. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I understand that. I do kind of empathise with that as well. I, I sort of feel like we're all... I think every, you all, But you remember the times you were bullied, and I'm not saying you would... Uh, you would you know, there's more to be bullied about, but you, remember, you don't remember the times that you were the bully. You know what I mean? I think that's... 
I think, I think everyone's sort of a bully and everyone's bullied on some level in that kind of waiting for Godot sort of... <laughs> the, you're kicking the person with one leg, you know. Uh, if you've got two, if you've got or no legs, if you've got one leg or whatever, but it's, um, you know, it's just human cruelty, isn't it? And it's that it's that human nature to kind of to to find your status and to which I suppose you know is is a, is a lot to do with the, the religions as well. But it's um, your kids are bastards. Yeah, you know that as a father. Yeah, <laughs> mine are all yeah, they are they're horrible, they're horrible <laughs> monsters. Um, but yeah, it's it's. But, you know, I had a similar thing. I mean, I didn't have as dramatic... It's a quite a dramatic way to rebel. And was... And how, Did you have a turban? I, I, didn't, I didn't have anything to... I, I had a New Testament that I stopped reading. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I knew similarly... You know, I knew at eight or nine that it, was, it wasn't for me. But then I... It, but that hangs... That religious... Does it still hang in there sometimes? Is it hard it's to... come back. It comes back yeah. occasionally. I mean, the, the religion's great in theory. You know, I've started wearing this colour, which is another... Signs of the faith. It's the yeah. only sign I have left. But it's a great religion in theory. So is Christianity in theory. <laughs> but it gets corrupted and it becomes the opposite of what it's meant sure. out to be. Yeah. And um, so there's obviously a big part of it is is the, the, your mother's wanting you to be in a relationship with a Sikh girl and you not want it. Certainly, once you're in London. Yeah, and I had this weird time where I basically was going along with the arranged marriage meetings my parents were put, putting me up with and uh, having a girlfriend. And I actually had a, a flat in London where John lived, occasionally with his comedy friends, like Daniel Kitson, I think, at one point. And I lived with my girlfriend. And if my parents ever came to London, I'd pretend I was living in the flat and I'd put up pictures of Guru Nanak everywhere and pretend I was living there. It was quite extreme. And then I'd go on these dates where... They're quite odd things because they arrange marriage meetings, so you can't be in any way sexual. Right. Because your parents will hear about it. Yes. Uh, so you can't flirt. But at the same time, you have to, kind of. <laughs> and I had so many strange meetings. And the strangest one is I once went to a, 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 a London hotel bar to meet this girl. Wasn't interested, but then she was quite attractive. Became interested. Yes. And she, about 10 minutes into the drink, she went, you know, I was really nervous about meeting you, so I hope, I hope you don't mind. But I brought some of my friends along with me. And I was like, you're right, there's normally not any Indians in this bar, and there's 10. <laughs> right. She can't meet, and it was all 10. Right. She'd brought 10 people along with her. Good idea. And then they all came over, and I had to buy them a round of drinks. <laughs> right. As they interrogated me in this kind of job interview situation. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, I, the older I get, the more I think arranged marriage is quite a good idea. <laughs> That's the thing, I, I now think it's a great idea. Because I sort yeah. of think, you know, this illusion of choice... Yeah. And you're waiting for the one. And actually marriage, as much as I love my darling wife and she is the most wonderful woman on the world, on the planet, I mean, you just got to fucking get on with it. That's the problem. So <laughs> the things that I've been through with my wife, it, if it had happened to me when I was 20, I'd have been out the door. Yeah. But it's only because we were married. And it would be much more sensible for a grown-up to say, this would be a good person for you to marry. Yeah, it's, it's like the Starbucks menu. There's too much yeah. choice. I remember yeah. when Starbucks opened in Wolverhampton. That I, I went in and someone at the checkout was trying to order some fish and chips. <laughs> but that's the thing, there's too much choice, yeah. isn't there? And arranged marriages kind of work, yeah. and, but now I'm too old for it. Are you too old? What? Yeah, to, to make it, you and I yeah. have got no chance in right. arranged marriage. You need to be 27 right. and work for Goldman Sachs. Right. So you're what, 49? Oh, yeah, let's say that. 
<laughs> I'm 51. You run Thank a... you, though. I'll take those two years. <laughs> I'm back in my 40s. It's amazing. 51-year-old running a successful podcast series. <laughs> it ain't going to work. No. 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 Sorry about that. Your mum was hot. <laughs> if, I, if, you, if you, someone had offered an arranged marriage with your mum, you know, when she was young, I'm not sick. Wow. Uh, <laughs> do you know uh, Sikhs carry swords? I do. <laughs> Daggers. Yeah, okay. There's a lot of Sikhs in Wolverhampton. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's a kind of compliment. Um, <laughs> Was it you tweeted the other day the guy at the baseball or basketball match with the he's sitting with his girlfriend and the, it's a seat guy? I guess. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, <laughs> but that sort of sums it up that he, he's put he's got his arm around a girl and then the love camera thing that they do at those American games goes on this guy and he realizes everyone can see him and then he kind of he just is so badly sort of pretends he hasn't... Yeah, he's an Indian guy. You missed out the crucial detail. Okay, yes, of course, yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, but that's it. So he knows that he shouldn't be there with this girl. Yeah. And that he's going to get discovered in this way that you're talking about, that your your parents, you were terrified about your mum finding out when you were dating. That's the thing, even if you were dating someone Indian, I had an Indian sort of girlfriend in my... I was seeing someone Indian in my teens. Where do you take them in Wolverhampton without being spotted? And also, those were the days... That's the thing. You go to the library. <laughs> did you have a sexy incident in the library with an Indian bloke? Yeah. That was me and the girl from the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have sex in the bush if you're Indian in okay. Wolverhampton. So it was either the library or the train station platform. Because there was no pub. They wouldn't let you in. No Starbucks. And you couldn't be seen by your parents. Um, and the irony is they changed the ending of my book for the TV series to Wolverhampton train station. Right. So it went to full, a full loop. Yeah. So for me, it has very romantic connotations, that station. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. But, you know, I think, like, again, I think my parents, you know, my, my parents have been together since they were 13 and 14. So they've essentially... Pre-legal. Yeah. Well, they would, but they, and they didn't have sex until they were married when they were 22. Wow. So it's a, it's a real generational thing. I think a lot of the things are... I mean, some of them are, 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 are unique to being Sikh, but I think that, that idea, just a generational thing, and maybe it's a generation apart, you know, it's a decade or so apart, but for my parents, you know, I thought that I had to be... My first girlfriend should be the girl I spent the rest of my life with. It's not how it turned out. Uh, and, uh, you know, and so I, and I was sort of, the minute that dream got broken in a way, you know, that was sort of what partly sent me the other way in life. It's, it, but, but, you know, there was that ex- expectation. Yeah. Uh, you know, in this country as well. And things have, things have sort of changed so much. It's, it's interesting to see, you know, I mean, I think that's what, it's interesting to see how a different cult, someone coming into a different culture or a family coming to a different culture, to be fair, because you were obviously born here, so it's, it's, it's always been your country. But, it's, but that being then pressed against the traditions that your, your parents brought from the Punjab, that's the way that, that you find the balance and the way that those things can, that cultures intermingle and work. Yeah, I think it was very much of my generation. I meet kids now 
they don't have any of these problems. You know, they're so confident. And you have kids walking around with turbans, they really own their identity, they're not self-conscious, they're not tortured about it. I just think it is our generation in the 80s. Yeah. You know, and people are much more confident about these things. But also, I mean, of my, I have 54 first cousins. I mean, can you imagine what that's like? <laughs> and like, but most of them had arranged marriages or introductions. But very successful. I'm the failure. Did it, did, and do they work? Do they work? Do people do people get divorced in your family? Or do yeah, occasionally, they, but yeah. quite good hit rate, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. quite good hit rate. Yeah, because see, my brother and sister, but my brother's been divorced twice, and my sister's been divorced. I think. <laughs> I am the only one who's successfully been married to the same woman for almost seven years. <laughs> What's the secret, Richard? Secret is don't get married till you're too old <laughs> for anyone to be else to be interested. You've got to meet your partner just at the point. I was re- when I was forty, I was still I was bringing it home, but only <laughs> only for another six months. I didn't know that, but something within me knew that I had to capture. <laughs> I've got a theory that men settle down when they begin losing their hair. Mm doesn't work no did you slightly start losing your hair no, no? my hair was gone started to go gray maybe at yeah. 40 mm. um but no i think i know i'm glad i waited in some way it's crazy i was the other i was thinking about i was you know my son is just just one and a bit and i must have known this but it just suddenly struck me that you know he's going to leave when he leaves home i'm going to be 70 years old i think it was my mother-in-law went to the galapagos islands and you know it'd be nice to go on holidays again and i thought Ah, uh, yeah, I'm going to be... By the time I'm actually free of these kids, <laughs> I'm going to be... I've been dead, let's face it, but 70... <laughs> I'm going to be 70 years over. My life... My non-parent life is over. That's it now. I'm just a parent, and then I'm going to die, and that's... There's no, there's no more fun to be had. But... You're really selling it. But... You know, you've already done the fun... So it's, all, it's good, because I've already done the bit that... Yeah. You know, I, I, it's... It sounds knackering. It is very tiring. Yeah. yeah, it's awful. My son was sick this morning. Uh, I had to clear up sick. They poo, they poo themselves. You have to do that. It's not so bad, that bit. Uh, it's, it's, um, again, I think, but I think you'd like it. I think the connection with... The, it's, there's, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's, uh, my daughter is uh, now nearly four, and uh, it's lovely. She's very cheeky to me and says she doesn't like me. Uh, and says she loves her mum, she doesn't like me. And then the other night, she wanted me to sleep, like, she said, go to bed, I want you to sleep in my, on my pillow. She's got like a bed on the floor, and so I would pretend to sleep on the floor. And then she whispered to me, said, I love you, Daddy. Aww. But that's what I get. That's her, and I said, don't, don't tell anyone. She said, I have to, otherwise it's a fib. Aww. But she hasn't told anyone. She still says she hates me outside of... She's <laughs> a fucking bitch. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's worth but for those moments alone it's yeah. worth it but it's, cra- it's fucking crazy it's all the, all the research shows that parents get fucking miserable I th- but you do it's horrible but you that, don't but regret it so that's why I'm, no no because you go through you know so like especially with the second one it's been hell this year we've just you know it's been, we've been through a lot of stuff and that's what I say I've been through stuff that I would not you know if there weren't two kids there and I wasn't a mature person you'd go oh it's easier to go away from this but it's but you come out the other side of it and it's you know the the good bits are really good um and you know you just i think you just have a which i think you have through your going the other way with your family you know i think you had that 
shallowness in your life if the book's to be you know, believed, if it isn't a slight exaggeration of the truth. It's that, you know, the, the vacuous life of the 20-something yeah. who's a bit affluent um, compared to going, okay, well, this is the stuff that's real. It's, like, it's very much like Bross again. It's, it's, it's come, it all comes back to Bross. No, you're right. I, I mean, at risk of being earnest, I do think family is everything. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And so that's, you know, and that, that realisation for you, that's, that's the whole point. That's the, you know, that's to walk away from hmm. this life you had and this job you had and to come back. I mean, to, and it's Wolverhampton you came back to. So I, and, you know, if, yeah. if I went back to my family, at least it'd be in somewhere nice, Somerset. <laughs> it's like the thing about... countryside and stuff there, horses. They've cut down the only trees in Bilston to build some more buildings. Have you seen that? I was in the paper today. People are furious. The two Bilston trees have gone. The thing about places is that when people slag off places, yeah. or when the people talk about places, they're actually talking about the people there, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, of course. You know, and that's, that's my family out here, so I love it for that reason. But, um, yeah. Oh. You go back to Dudley, mate. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> just was, it was just one joke too many for that guy. It was oh, just, no. that's it, I've had it. I've had, he's having about... a go at our trees now. Uh, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing as my daughter. That, you know, when we're lying down in bed tonight together, you, audience, and me, I'm going to go, I love you, Bilston. <laughs> I do, I fucking, but I fucking, I love, but I've been, you know, I go everywhere, and there are places I don't like, but they there are places that I just wish Wolverhampton loved me more than as much as I love Wolverhampton. That's the truth. Then I could be in the fucking jacuzzi, in the big bedroom, in the big bedroom, the big dressing room. What a giveaway. Uh, in, in the Civic, it'd be wonderful. Hey, look, I haven't asked you any emergency questions. How are we doing? Oh, gosh. Look, we've got to like an hour in. No oh, wow, that's questions. good. Yeah, that's a good that sign. Is a, that means so you're a success. Oh, I've got some new ones. Oh, God. Some of them might be inspired by your book. I was revising on the way here, yeah, and I've, I heard, so. can I just say that you're a messed up person? <laughs> he had to revise what a human centipede was, and I'm not even going to do that question. That's that. That's, I've made him look at the horrible thing. <laughs> what? This is a question that comes. I've got an answer to this if you don't have an answer to this, because you might have been too good. What was the weirdest reason you ever skived off school? Did you ever skive off school? He never. He was a good boy. I was a uh, head prefect. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't. Yeah. But I was. I was a swatty good kid. At middle school, when I was about nine, we were going to make tea and coffee in home economics, and for some reason, I was. And until I was about twenty, I was terrified about the idea of being made to drink tea or coffee. <laughs> I was. I felt like it was. I, th- I felt it like symbolised adulthood somehow. Right. It does though. Yeah. It? Yeah. So even as a 10-year-old, but even as 18, I'd go around to people's houses and they'd go, oh, do you want a cup of tea? And I'd go, no, I don't drink tea. Have you got any Coke? <laughs> uh, Cocaine. And so, no, I was, I was such a dull person. Uh, and um, apart from that one wedding where I went crazy, um, <laughs> thought, no one will ever find out about this. Um, and I skived off school. I pretended to be ill so I didn't have to go into to, 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 to school and make a cup of tea. That's a weird reason that's to weird, skive off yeah. school. Yeah, I, I'm, I was really boring, yeah. No, well, that's good. Oh, I have got answered that, but they're so bleak, I'm not going to mention them. Okay. <laughs> All right. What is the unhappiest animal you've ever seen in a zoo? Okay. I've got an answer to this one. Because these are new questions, I knew it would be difficult for did him. Did you know... No, this is, I've got very... Did you know there's a zoo in Dudley? I did, yeah. 
I mean, Imagine what? being an animal and ending up there. Exactly. Of all the places you could be. Exactly. You, you're allowed to slag off Dudley. Yeah. I mean, imagine being a lion in, in like a beautiful jungle yeah. in India. Are there lions in India? Or Africa? And ending up in Dudley. Yeah. Imagine that happening to you. Well, awful. the only uh, school trip we ever had were, was to Dudley Zoo. Or once we went to the sewage works. <laughs> uh, so fans of that, have you, did yeah. you go on that trip as well? Or did you work? Do you, you work at the sewage works? Hooray! <laughs> fame at last. <laughs> what do you do with the... Uh, now I want you to be the guest. But I've got so many questions for you. Do you ever have to pick a turd out? You have a manual if it is? No. No, you've got machines. But if they get clogged up, do you ever have to get in there? No. Minions. <laughs> but I remember um, I took a clothes peg yeah. and put it on my nose yeah. and got a detention for it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's insulting, isn't it, to the sewage people to do that? Yeah. <laughs> the sewage for the Morlocks who work at the sewage. <laughs> I think of it that visit every day, every yeah. time I flush the... Do you? Because the things you see... <laughs> it's not just the shit. It's not the wee as well. There's wee in there as well, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's a... Wow, I'm glad the people at home aren't hearing this. It's like <laughs> this is shocking. This is the worst thing that's ever happened in their podcast. This is... <laughs> Never been so shocked in my life. And it, you know, you have to remember all that effluent comes from people in Wolverhampton as well. So that is di- <laughs> is doubly worse. It's like the generation game yeah. down there. I mean, people throw <laughs> cuddly toys, crockery. Yeah. It's like crockery. Yeah, people th- throw plates down the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> they do, don't they? Yeah. That kind of come down a toilet, a shopping trolley. How <laughs> did no one flush that down the t- Someone flushed it down the toilet and a rat reassembled it. <laughs> could happen <laughs> I was at Whipsnade Zoo with my children this week and I saw a zebra ze- it was a very cold day and the zebras were in their enclosure and there was a zebra there was a wall and there was a zebra standing like that <laughs> right just for, and didn't move and I just yeah. thought that is that most animals were fine I just thought that animal it's like it was like you know, the Blair Witch project of zebras <laughs> Just around that one's going. That that zebra, if they could only get their hooves together and stab someone, <laughs> they can probably do something, can't they? It's a nice zoo apart from that Whipsnade zoo. Yeah. I was in London Zoo. I saw a gorilla that looks so. Yeah, the problem is you uh, you were, you put human characteristics onto these animals, and they're probably just bored or thinking about something else. But there was a gorilla staring at me, like fucking. This is so hum- <laughs> this is so humiliating. If I could get out there, I'd rip you apart. You can't. So, I don't know what I think about zoos. They're nice for the kids, though, aren't they? Are they? Yeah. I don't think they're nice for kids anymore. I think they're, yeah, they're intrinsically bleak. And the Who's one bleak? in Dudley is the bleakest yeah. of all. Yeah. What do they have in the Dudley Zoo? What's the best thing in Dudley Zoo? I've, you know, I've, I've blocked it all out. I, yeah. I already have memories of the sewage works. They have everything, though, I think. Bears, they're now goats. Goats. They have bears that are now goats. <laughs> They had <laughs> Dudley Zoo. They advertise as bears. When you look over, they have goats. I mean, any zoo could do that, couldn't it? Really, that's not. That's just the farm around my, ha- my house could go. Yeah, we're a zoo now. There's a bear. <laughs> they do hide away. I mean, you've got to look at stuff. Uh, all right, I've got some. I've got some Wolverhampton-based questions for you. 
Um, what is the tallest building in Wolverhampton? Manda House. Oh, St. Peter's Church. Oh, fuck. Very embarrassing. This, this is, is basically finding out if the person really knows the place they're from. It's turned out this whole book is a tissue of lies. <laughs> it was built in 2009, which might have thrown you off. Wow, what was built in 2009? Yes, but the people of, people of Wolverhampton. Which were this? No. Oh, which, what hall? Student Hall. Victoria Hall, it is. Victoria Hall, which building? <laughs> building, building one. <laughs> and how, how high is, would you say, that building was? Too high. <laughs> Too high. It dwarves everything else in Wolverhampton. It's an amazing 246 feet high. It's not very high, is it? <laughs> For Wolverhampton, that is one high building, my friend. <laughs> um, well, who's your favourite Wolverhampton celebrity? Oh, God, this is a... Well, I don't know if it... This is actually... Jasmine. What? Jasmine, the guy from Babylon Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yes, yeah, Jazz Band, the guy Jazz from Babylon Zoo. Yeah. Remember the one hit wonder, Spaceman? Spaceman, yeah. And uh, his mum goes to the same temple as my mum. Wow. Wow, there you go. Connections. Have you ever seen Jimmy Carr's dad around? When you've been, I mean, he's, he's from Dudley. Yeah. So I'm not sure that whether you with your mix. What drew your family to Wolverhampton? Uh, obviously, the racism. <laughs> <laughs> Enoch Powell, the MP. Yeah. So many, so many highlights. The National Front. Yeah. The fact that Wolverhampton Wanderers fans at the time went out, went around in um, KKK hoods. Did they? Yeah. Even the 70s. I mean, that might, that kind of before the immigrants even arrived. They can't. The immigrants being here must have been part of that. Surely they wouldn't go. We we hate immigrants so much since the 16th century. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I mean, I was I was completely oblivious to. It. I remember someone had put some NF graffiti on yeah, our, yeah. near our house and I didn't know what it was I just liked the logo the Nigel way... Farage <laughs> they were prophets <laughs> <laughs> but I remember scrawling it onto a balloon and my sister popping it <laughs> saying don't do that and she never really explained why yeah and then Nigel Farage happened <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting but that because we growing up in Somerset you know there was we had no real understanding of anything in the world there was like one black kid in the village I've been and, to Somerset yeah. and I, I can believe that yeah and you know, it was an adopted boy who was, had come to the village in one family and you know we, so all that imagery you would, and because of punk and we all got punk a little bit late and punk appropriated a lot of those images and so you, we were putting swastikas and NF on things not even knowing what any of it meant at all yeah. and having no connection with it is when it was a really terrible, I mean, this was a little bit before your time, really, the 70s uh, and early 80s. This um, sounds like an apology for a racist act. Well, no, but it wasn't. You, you're going mean, to be... We were racist, we were racist, we were racist, but only because we didn't understand... It's good defence. ...what any of the stuff was. <laughs> we had no one around to be racist. We were racist in, in a kind of imaginary way because we had no one there. I grew, I'm, I'm in, in Loughborough, where I lived between the ages of four and eight, that was a multicultural school I went to. My best friend was called Satish Patel. That's a hard man to find on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was my best friend so you know then I moved to Somerset and there was no Asian black people around so it was yeah. we just didn't understand why it, we didn't know what it was you know uh, but like all you'd watch TV and the comedians was on 
And it was, you know... It and was, you laugh at, you know, well, yeah, Jim, but you'd Jim laugh, Davidson. A, you'd laugh at jokes that weren't any good, regardless of the racism. <laughs> and B, there was just, you know, black guys on there going, oh, watch out, I'll move next door to you, and all that sort of stuff. So it was... It, was, it permeated the culture in a, in a horrific way. I mean, I don't know if things are better or worse now. It's hard to... I'm much better. Actually, the person out. I think about in relation to this subject is probably Lenny Henry, you know, from Dudley. And his career just shows you how far we've gone. I mean, when he started, I think he was doing whiteface. Well, he did... He was in the black and white minstrels. Yeah, yeah so he wasn't... He was, but he was the only black guy in the black and white minstrels ever. The black and white minstrels was a TV show for the younger people who perhaps won't believe this could be a thing, <laughs> where they'd sang songs, the men all blacked up, uh, and the women were white, I think. The women it's would... amazing to be doing that in the 70s. Yeah. And then he went on and had a great career, and now, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's insane. Yeah, well, it's, you know, those things have moved on. Are we heading backwards in a lot of ways? Uh, I don't think so. I just think all it is, Twitter and social networking is just exposing how bad things always were, you know. We now, those people, we have now got a voice and we yeah. can see them, whereas before they were just locked away in, in weird pubs in Bilston. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, is it about, I mean, I, I sort of think a lot of this thing, I mean, a lot of discussions come down to who's right and who's wrong and, and shouting people down. There's no real discussion about any, any issue, really, at the moment, you know. So there's a lot of controversial subjects and people, if you say the wrong thing, you get shouted down. And it isn't the problem that you actually have to convince people that you're correct. It's not enough just to say, you're not allowed to be racist. Okay, we're not allowed to be racist. And that's basically what's happened with social media is, oh, we're not, you're not allowed to do any of these things anymore, but I still think it. It's, it's, it's actually changing people's hearts and minds rather than telling them off. Really. Yeah, it's not a very sophisticated environment, is it, no. social networking? But I think social networking has changed politics permanently. And yeah. we, we don't know how. I mean, Trump, Brexit, all of it because of Facebook and Twitter and so on. And we, we don't understand it. It's crazy, and yet we're part of it. I mean, you were an early adopter. Basically, it's your fault. It is. Well, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> well, John Ronson's coming on in this series. We've got lots of great guests coming up. Uh, and he's doing a lot of stuff about the effects of... Um, he's got a brilliant podcast about the effects of... Um, just the, the, the guy who realised that you could give porn away for free and make money doing adverts and how it's called the butterfly effect his podcast do listen to it uh, and all the effects that have had but actually you know most revolutions even the industrial revolution was quite a slow moving thing and in you know in our lifetime like two or three music formats have become redundant haven't they so course, yeah, we've, we've yeah. worked, I've worked through <laughs> I've given away all my CDs to a charity shop CDs were, in a, you know, I'd already had two different formats before CDs come out, and CDs yeah. are already now redundant. I wish the uh, Conservative Party would become redundant. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I think so much is changing, and, and the internet is changing so much that that's, I think that's what's going to be interesting in the next decade. I think politically, you know, what's happening is awful, really, is, is, the, is that exact thing of people being able to manipulate data. Is that, if you're being able to manipulate data and understand how data works is going to make someone the king of the world, and maybe it's going to be the wrong person. I mean, they might be there already, let's face it, through that. So the, all that stuff is interesting. Yeah. I talked about, I'm going to talk to John about that a bit more. Yeah, he probably knows more about he it. He probably will know more But about I mean, that. Twitter is, is, we both probably have mixed feelings about Twitter. It's definitely made my life brilliant in many ways. I've, I've yeah. made real friends who've changed my life. I gave away someone 
at her wedding uh, uh, not long ago, who I met on Twitter. Right. An incredible thing. He's one of my best friends now. Yeah. But at the same time, it's fucking awful. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, the abuse, the racism, the misogyny, shite. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting to see that journey happening. I mean, in a horrible way. It used to be, you know, Twitter was nice for a little bit, a little while. Yeah. And then but someone will come and say something awful, and you go, well, look at this guy. But that's the problem. The retweet of the awful thing is actually the thing that fuels the awful thing. And that's the, I, you know, and, this, and not to say you shouldn't stand up to awful things, but by doing that, you're, you can't, that's what Trump is. You can't mm. beat him because every time you criticize him, you're just throwing more logs onto his awful lot of fire that it manifests itself in the thing on his head. Yeah, basically. Uh, is basically a flaming <laughs> orange burning man that you're making burn more. Yeah, interesting. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's an interesting thought. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's terrifying. And you know, I don't think we're going to keep. It's, you know, things are happening that are, are, are everyone's saying, "Oh, it'll be all right." That's what. That's the problem with Britain. Is our lives have been all right? Everyone in this room and everyone under eighty, our lives have been all right. And so you just think, oh, "I'll be all right." They'll work it out. That's what that Brexit. Oh, they'll work it out. Yeah. They might not, mate. Oh, it might go really badly wrong. People might die. No, no, that won't happen. The thing is, outside England and the US, it's even worse. In places like India, there are mobs like, coming to creation because of messages on WhatsApp. You know, it's mob culture yeah. and because of social networking. So yeah. people are dying already because of this. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Terrible, isn't it? Not because of this podcast, though. I think, well, I think <laughs> maybe some... Because like, people keep tweeting me saying... Oh, that thing was so funny. That one was so funny. I was driving the car to pull over and so uh, I didn't crash. Some people must just laugh, find it so funny they crash and die, right? And you never find out about those ones because they're dead. And uh, the firemen will go, hold on. What was he listening to? Just, just I'll, I'll email Rich Sherry and let him know he killed one. That'd be a good blurb for you next <laughs> well, I hope I, I hope I have killed a few. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally died laughing. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I hope that's happened. I hope it happens at that point. Someone's laughing at home so much at that that they fall into the waste disposal unit. <laughs> I mean, that's quite a specific hope. Uh, so, uh, look, we're going to have to... I've got to go home in, through the snow of... Snowmageddon. The, the snow down south. I'm, I'm going to listen to my own podcast and I'm going to die laughing on the icy roads of Hertfordshire. And please put the podcast out if I do die, Ben. It will be great. Um, it's been really lovely. To talk. There's so much to talk about. You are going to be uh, signing and selling copies of your book uh, out in the foyer. I'll be signing copies of a lot. I've got this, this. That's my memoir of how not to grow up. That's for sale. That's from Tepat. That's when I was 40. Wow. But your age. I was, a, I was a kid alt, like you mentioned you were. Uh, and my books, Emergency Questions. Uh, there's some badges if you want to help the podcast. There's some of my DVDs. I'll be at the back there. I can take credit cards now. Do you have those in Wolverhampton yet? I guess they, they can't really take the risk with you, can they? <laughs> um, debit cards are fine as well. Uh, so <laughs> that was it. It was just that was the point where I went too far. Yeah. And now I've got to <laughs> hightail that out of town. I'm never coming back to Bilston. I'm making you that as a promise. But I'll see you in the Slade rooms for my next stand. <laughs> Come on, Slade. How could, you can't get better than that.
Um, it's really been uh, fantastic to meet you. Thank you so much for coming along. Thank and, you for uh, having me. D- do buy this book at home, Boy with Top Knot. And you've got another book called Marriage Matters. Material. Fuck it. Almost there. Uh, <laughs> marriage Material. Well, you're not married, so what do you know about it? Uh, read, my bo- read my blog. You'll find out about it. Uh, <laughs> it's, wonder- it's wonderful. Do get married. Uh, and I love Wolverhampton. I love you. I love you. I love you, Wolverhampton. I love you, Wolverhampton. Don't tell anyone I love you. <laughs> It'll ruin everything. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Wolverhampton boys, Adam Sangari. You have been listening to Richard Herring's lovely Super Terrific podcast with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Satnam Sangara. We have been at Bilston Town Hall. Thank you to everybody here for having us. I'd like to thank Pest for the continued use of their beautiful music. I am indebted to my producer, Ben Walker, who's come all the way. He's driven me to Wolverhampton. That's how committed he is. Uh, thank you also to Orange Mark and the British Comedy Guide for all the many years of hosting us. I'm very, very grateful to you, Mark. Thank you for that. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStrike.com production. Hey, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please come and see us in 2019. Head to richtown.com slash gigs and you can see where I'm coming. There's loads of dates to be announced. Also, I forgot to mention I'm at King's Place on the 10th and 17th of June. That is in London in King's Cross. And there's some very exciting possible guests for that one. So book ahead. Thanks for everyone who has booked ahead. And we will see you very soon, wherever you may be. Dance, dance, wherever you may be.